This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Today we're going to talk about making family work. Family is God's design. God doesn't draw up plans that don't work. He's the perfect architect. And if we build our relationships and our marriages and our families according to his blueprint, we find out they work, they succeed. So first this morning, here's why it's so important for family to work for you as a Christian. Here's the big idea today. Get this above all else that we say. My family life is a witness about my God. And say that again. My family life is a witness about my God. Like it or not, the world around us is watching us, aren't they? When we claim to be Christians, they expect to see some kind of difference about us. They expect our kids to be respectful. They expect our marriages to last. They expect our morals to be above average. And really, those expectations they have about us aren't unrealistic. If we dare to say, Jesus has changed my life, and that's who a Christian is, someone whose life has been changed by Jesus Christ. If we dare to say, Jesus has changed my life, that can't mean, but accept my family life, or accept my social life, or accept my marriage. When we become Christians, Jesus gives us his life. And how we live that life speaks louder to our neighbors about the reality of our faith than our bumper stickers and our Facebook groups. In fact, how we live that life, especially around those closest to us, drowns out the noise of our words and our singing. Did you hear that? How I live my life outside of this room, wherever it is that I go, drowns out the noise of the words that I say about how much I love Jesus. My words speak louder than my words. My actions speak louder than my words. And that doesn't mean that within the church that there are any families or marriages represented here who are without fault. Every family that's represented here has got some problems of some kind or another. But it, doesn't, but it, but it does mean this. It means that those, that through our, those of us who know Jesus, through our faults and in the midst of our failures, we can continue to live day by day in grace and forgiveness. Now, the scripture that we're going to tackle today in Ephesians chapter 5 is read very often at weddings. And, and it should be, rightly so. It speaks about marriage. And it not only gives our roles in marriage, but it also says why it's important that we live this way in family relationships. Marriage, back in the 60s, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, the, the decade of the 60s when kind of everything that was right and wrong was thrown out the window and do what you want to do and if it feels good, do it. And, and, and don't, you know, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with and all that that came along in the 60s. Well, one of the things that I heard so much growing up in the 60s as a teenager was, well, after all, marriage is just a piece of paper. You ever hear that? It's just a piece of paper. Well, let me, let, me, let me tell you something. Marriage is more than a piece of paper. Marriage is God's plan, God's idea. Marriage is God's sanctioning one man who's committed to one woman for a lifetime. Marriage is God's plan for joining, the, joining together of a man and a woman to build a home and raise a family. And when a couple makes those vows, 
at a wedding ceremony, as hundreds have done on the Outer Banks this weekend. When a couple makes those vows, they are doing so not just in front of the the officiant and and the people who may be seated behind them. They are making those vows before God Almighty, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health until death parts us. Why? Because marriage is... is, Here's the big thing that we need to understand. Marriage, the Bible says in this passage... Is between a man and a woman is a picture of the relationship Jesus has with his church. Your marriage is like a painting across the front yard of your house, if you will, like a billboard that says, this is what Jesus and his church looks like in their relationship. Look at us. This is what Jesus looks like with his church. Wow. Did you know that the church in the scripture is called the bride of Christ for that reason? And just, we're going to see, just as Christ loves the church, we husbands are told to love our wives, protect her, defend her, if necessary, with our lives and provide for her. That's what love is about. For that picture, that billboard, to stay intact, you have to work at making marriage work and your family work. Marriage is a, it's a lifetime covenant. I've been to more than a few weddings in my time. I've conducted a number of them. And in every wedding, there's that place where the bride and the groom say those vows and those words are repeated and pledging our undying love and and respect and faithfulness and care, devotion. And I, I, I would be willing to put a lot of money on this if I was a betting man, that every bride and groom who stand before that preacher, and say those vows on that day, when they say those words, I'd be willing to bet they mean it with all their hearts. They really mean that. And we're going to, this is where this is God's thing in our lives. This, we're going to, this is going to last forever. And so they say those words and they repeat the vows. But after the honeymoon, couples discover rather quickly that it's easier said than what? Done. Oh, yeah. Because now it's just words that we said on our wedding day. Now we've got to do those things. So based on this passage of God's word, how do we make marriage and family work? Now, some of you here today are single. I don't want to exclude you, Uh, especially those of you who are single parents. Because the principles that are in here that we're going to see are principles that carry over in so many other areas of our lives. So I hope that you'll listen and and say, okay, God, how can I use this in my life? All right, but first of all, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning verse 21, what does it say to us about how we make it work? First of all, the Bible tells us to dedicate your marriage and your family to Christ. Dedicate your marriage and your family to Christ. Paul writes and he says in the second part of verse 21, you do this out of reverence for Christ. Paul starts out by saying that the purpose of any relationship with my spouse is to honor Jesus. That's why God brought us together, was to honor him. That goes for those of us who are married to believers, as well as those of us who are married to unbelievers. Now, Gail and I were blessed to have, when we came together, we began to date, 
and, and, and then it got more serious, and we got engaged, and then we got married. But when we came together back uh, as, as college students, young people, uh, we were already both of us Christians. Our lives were already committed to the Lord, and God brought the two of us together, and that, that was a great way for us to begin. And, and I remember in our wedding ceremony and our vows, that was stated about how why God's brought us together and that we were going to build a home for his glory But maybe that's not your story. Maybe that's not how it worked in your life. So what you can do is is to, you can begin today, right now. Had had one lady came up to me after the last gathering, and she said, she said, you know, Rick, she said, and I know her well, and she knows that I know her story well. She said, you know, my my past was really a mess. You know, in my marriage and and my children and everything else, she says, "But, but I'm so glad to know God says, hey, you know what? Today is when you can start new, and, and, and I'm building on that today. And, and that was so exciting to hear her, her, her share that, and, and she was excited about that. You can begin today right now. And, and if you're not married, you are married, but you're not married to a, a believer, you can still do this by dedicating your part in your marriage and your family to Christ. First thing, dedicate your marriage and your family to Christ. Well, then what does it say? Well, you back up just before that, and it tells us that we are to mutually submit to one another. He says, the Bible says there, you will submit to one another in the first part of verse 21. God's word says to submit to one another. What does that mean? That, the simplest way I can put that is that means I put your needs ahead of my own. Now, Right now, right about now, the men who are here, the husbands especially, who were here last Sunday, you're beginning to wake up. I've said some things that all of a sudden that has jarred your attention because you were here last Sunday and you know very distinctly that last Sunday, Rick, you read that scripture in Colossians where it says, and wives submit to your husbands. I remember that. I was here. My wife even took the notes. You're trying to change the rules of the game on us now? What gives here? Because now you're saying, you know, are, are you saying that I, now I have to submit to her? And the answer is no, I'm not saying that. God is. You, you, you husbands are the leaders in the family and the best leadership, as Jesus demonstrated, is a leader who gives himself to serve those who follow. And that's a form of submission. So there is mutual submission in a healthy marriage and in a healthy family. You know, anytime anybody in the family, got some teenagers here this morning, listen up, please. Anytime anyone in the family, husband, wife, child, insists that he or she get his or her way, that relationship is unhealthy. Right? So... Honor Christ. Dedicate your marriage, your family to Christ. Submit mutually one to another. Then he gets a little bit more specific, and he talks to the wives. And he says, wives, see your husband as a worthy leader. See him as a worthy leader. Here's what it says in verses 22 to 24. You wives will submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Ladies, would you take your pencils or your pen and circle that word will? All right. Paul isn't saying... Now, girls, if, if, if you, this might be a really good idea. If you want to just kind of help smooth things over in your house, maybe you could try this. 
Submit to your husband. It doesn't say that. Paul says, wives, you will do this. You'll submit to your husbands. Now, just hang on, ladies, because we're really going to nail the men in just a little bit. But, but you will submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the, has the, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, the body of the church, and he gave his life to be your Savior as the church submits to Christ. And by the way, let me stop and say that that's not always easy either for the church to submit to Christ because a lot of times we read what Jesus said and what his word says as a church, and then we say, we got to do this. And that's not always easy, is it, Tom, for the church to be obedient to the word of God and do what it's not always a popular thing. For us to do. And as the church submits to Christ, so must wives. You wives submit to your husbands. Bummer. In everything. There's another word to circle, all right? I circled the word. You will do this. And he says, and you will do this in everything. <sighs> Paul says, submit to him, your husband, like you submit to Christ. And I've seen a lot of Christian wives. God bless them, but I've seen a lot of Christian wives who just love Jesus. And they love the church. And they love their ministry. But they can't stand that man they're living with, you know. And they don't want to do a thing that, you know. Hello. As you submit to Jesus, you should submit to your husbands in everything. Listen, ladies, you'll see him, your husband, is worthy when you accept what we talked about last week. What is that? That he's the one God appointed in your life to lead you. And that means, ah, that means you have to let him lead. Even when he stumbles, and even when he falls, and even when he fails. You've got to let him lead. Now here, here's the, other, here's the part to that. Fellas, you can listen in on this. Because when he stumbles and when he falls and when he fails in his leadership to you, ladies, who is your husband accountable to for that? God. He gets to answer to God for where he leads. Right? Now, what that means, wives, is that you cannot challenge his position of leadership doesn't mean you can't disagree with some of the things he's thinking and wanting to do. It doesn't mean that you don't have an opinion that's valid and worthy as well. It doesn't mean that there should be shared decision-making, that you don't have a voice in decision-making matters because you do. And if he's got any smarts at all, circle the word if, if he's got any smarts at all, He's going to listen to you, ladies, and he's going to respect your opinion. Here's what, Gail's not in here. She's back in the green room with the band. She was in here in the earlier. Here's one, of the, here's one of the things that I found out since I've been married all these years. I'm not the smartest one in the couple. But she makes me think I am. Understand, ladies, that men are wired in such a way that we function in high gear when we, listen, when we know that our wives are supporting and even admiring us, that's a male thing. 
But when you grasp that, wives, and you understand that and begin to acknowledge that God has placed this man in my life for my good and for my benefit, and you begin to build him up instead of tearing him down, you are giving him the worth that God wants you to give him as the leader in your home. Now, all the men are saying, yeah, I like that. I'm with God on that one. Well, let's move on and see, fellas, what God lays on us. All right, read the next passage with me. He says, husbands, here's the point in your outline, give up your life for your wife. All she's got to do is submit. You're going to have to die. Too late, you said those vows already, you know. And you husbands must love your wives with the same love Christ showed the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by baptism in God's word. He did this to present her to himself. Here's a picture of the bride coming down the aisle. The church being the bride, meeting Jesus. He did this to picture her, uh, to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot without a wrinkle. Wouldn't it be terrible that you go to a wedding and the bride's got this beautiful dress, you know, that, that her daddy's paid a gazillion dollars for? You watch those shows on TV, and I think, oh, people are so stupid. And, they, you know, they've paid a gazillion dollars for this dress that they wear one time. But before the wedding, she, was, uh, she stopped at Starbucks <laughs> and didn't quite get the top on the cup all the way, you know what I mean? And while she's having the, her latte... Now she's got this big brown spot, and there's nothing she can do. And here she comes, you know, and everybody stands and turns to see the bride come down the aisle in this white dress. There's a big coffee stain on front of her, you know. And you would think, oh. Jesus wants to present the church to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, of being spotted and wrinkled and coffee-stained, she will be holy and without fault. Now, stop for a second. Whose job is it to present the wife that way? The bride, the church. That's Jesus' job. Let's translate, let's bring it down to home, guys. Whose job is it to see that your wife lives through this life without spot and without blemish and without wrinkle, without without living life daily because you bring pain into her life and insecurity into her life and hurt into her life. Whose job is it to wash her and lift her up and elevate her to that position of beauty and glory? Whose job, guys? Tell me. I only heard a couple guys say that. It's our job. It's my job. To love my wife that much. In the same way, he says, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man is actually loving himself when he loves his wife. No one hates his own body but lovingly cares for it just as Christ cares for his body, which is the church, and we are his body. When we think of love, typically females think of romance. Guys think of sex. God says both of you are shallow. 
God says love is about sacrifice. And he says to us as husbands, listen, guys, if you want your wife, and we, I just talked to your wives about what they're, if you want your wife to follow you as though she's following Christ, then you've got to love her like Christ loves us. And the way he showed us his love was to give his life away for us. You think about what Jesus gave up for the church, which is compared to the bride. He gave up his seat at God's right hand in heaven, and there he, where he was worshipped by the angels, and he came and was born in a stable became a man, depended on the kindness of others for his food and for his lodging. He became a homeless person. For us, he risked being misunderstood and mocked. For us, he was falsely accused and falsely convicted. And for us, he was tortured and then crucified. And God says, hey, guys, that's what God says is how you are to love your wives. You'd be willing to give it all up for her. Ladies, you tell me if I'm wrong here. But I don't believe there's a woman in the world that wouldn't follow a man to the ends of the earth. If she knew and she saw by his actions that he loved her that much. I don't think there's a woman in the world that would not do everything that her husband asks of her if she knew that her well-being was his mission in life and that his own aspirations came second after hers. Just to be sure as readers get it right, Paul ends this passage with verse 33 by saying, so I say again, let me me just repeat it one more time. Each man, love your wife as you love yourself, and each wife, respect your husband. By the way, how does Christ also love the church, fellas? He loves the church by providing for all of our needs. I'm 54 years old, and as I said, I've been married almost 33 years to Gail, and, and, and I'm still, I'm still, after all these years, and some of you guys say, I don't know what you're talking about here, bud. I'm still trying to, to figure out what her needs are. You know what I mean? In fact, it's my guess I'll go to the grave, scratching my head, somewhat still perplexed about discovering her needs. It's not easy, is it, guys? And women are just far more complex than we are as men, that, and that's because that's how God made them. That's how he wired them. Last week I mentioned our role as men as family protector, but let me show you that we're also the family provider. 1 Timothy 5.8, the Bible says, whoever does not care for his own relatives, especially his own family members, has turned against the faith and is worse than someone who does not believe in God. Providing is a huge responsibility on you as a dad or a husband, and sometimes because, like right now, because of the economy, Or maybe because of an illness, a man can't work. But that's not what this verse in Timothy is speaking about. In those cases, the church is to step in and and help out, come to his assistance. But this, what Paul was writing to Timothy about, there was about a man who just says, I will not take care of my family. And when a Christian husband, it says, or father won't provide for his own family, the Bible says this about that man. You're about as low bud as you can get. In fact, you're so low, it's it's as though you don't even believe that there is a God. Being a good provider, good protector, that's part of the deal, but it's not all of it. But without a provider, marriages and families suffer, and wives especially become insecure. And please understand, men, guys, listen, your wife, one of the deepest and greatest needs, longings of her inner being, of her heart, 
of her makeup is to, is to know that she's secure. So really what the Bible's telling us is that marriage and family work and are, are healthy when there's a partnership. 1 Corinthians 11, 11 and 12 says, but in relationships among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, and we men like to stop and say, yeah, please, would you remember that please, dear? It was Adam first and then it was Eve. You know, that's why God's put me, you know, in charge of things, because Adam first and then Eve. But, you know, we're, we're goofy. You know, l- let me ask a question to you, man. Where did you come from? The Bible answers that question in case you don't know. And all men have been born from women ever since. But he says, but please understand, all of us, everyone comes from God. It's a partnership. We're not independent of one another. You think back to creation, Matthew Henry, the old commentator, said this uh, very wisely. I'll paraphrase what he said. He said, God didn't make Eve from Adam's foot so he could trample on her, and he didn't make her from his head so she could control him. He made her from his side so they could be partners. Well, one question that's often asked is, is there a limit to this submission? And the answer to that question, I believe, is yes. The last part of the verse we looked at last Sunday in Colossians 3.18 says, You wives must submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Here's what that means. If a husband, whether he's a believer or not, because truth be told, believers can and often do act like unbelievers. If a husband requires you, ladies, wives, to do something that's either immoral or contradictory to Scripture, illegal, let's just say you're doing your tax return, you know, and you're sitting there and working on the figures and you write this figure down, he goes, no, 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 erase that. That's too much. Yeah, we we didn't make that much, did we? Bring that down so we don't have to pay so much in our taxes. If... You know, if if your husband was to tell you to just say lie in your tax return, what do you do? Well, you don't submit to him in that. Why? Well, because Jesus said to all of us, you render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Jesus said you pay your taxes. God has told you in his word that it is wrong to lie. You belong to your husband and he belongs to you, but please understand we all belong to God above all does not mean, as I heard a preacher say one time, couldn't believe it, but I heard him say it, well, ladies, if your husband's an unbeliever, that means you don't have to be under his authority. Oh, no. You accepted his authority when you said, I do. In fact, if your husband isn't a Christian, your greatest witness to him for Christ is your cooperative spirit. Peter wrote these words in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, even those who refuse to accept the good news, those who are not even believers. You accept their authority. Here's what happens. You're, and, and we have, you know, in the church, there's always more women than men, and there are always women who trust in Christ whose husbands haven't. And there are also men who trust in Christ whose wives haven't, but usually there's more women, wives, who are married to unbelievers, and, and God's Word says, And here's why. Your godly lives will speak to them better than any words. You try to preach to him, 
He's going to turn you off. But you love him, cooperate with him. He says, they'll be won over by watching your pure godly behavior. Your changed life will speak the gospel to him loud and clear. But you know, if you're always fighting and arguing with him, what does that say to him about your Savior? Next Sunday, we're going to see what the Bible has to say about being single. So if you're single here this morning, please don't feel left out. God's going to stomp on you too. No, God's going to have, God's got some good things to say to you as well. All right, we'll talk about those next Sunday. He doesn't just pick on the married people. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk in depth about how we learn to live together in marriage and a family with a lot of talk about the Christian ideals of grace and forgiveness. In this series, let me get your attention for just a moment. Because as we go, and this is the third message in this series on family. In this series, I know that we're sharing some biblical truth that, that for some of us is getting really close to us. And so let me say this to you. For some of us here, these words that we read in the Scripture, these verses are causing pain. And it may be that your past was anything but godly when it came to relationships and when it came to loving your children or, your, or children loving your parents. And when you hear what God's Word has to say, it may cause you hurt as you look back on your past. And if that's to you, I want you to, if that's you, I want you to please, please listen to this. If you know Christ as your Savior, one of the beautiful truths of that relationship is that when you professed him as your Savior, you traded your past for his future, for your life. He wiped your slate clean by his blood, and he died to remove the guilt and the shame from your past. So please let me say to you, rather than being hurt by past guilt, I hope instead you'll today say, I am so thankful and rejoice that you've been given new life and you have a future that God wants to pave for you in your life. Nagshead Church is a place where non-perfect people can come and discover life in Christ, and we believe that life includes our married life and our children, our relationships, our singleness, our pains, our disappointments. But maybe today you're presently living in a relationship that's outside of God's values, or your family structure may be topsy-turvy, maybe in your home, the wife is running everything and the husband's just a Casper milk toast or maybe the kids are running the roost. And things are just not what they need to be based upon the Scripture. What God's Word then is saying maybe is causing you some discomfort, some pain. And I hope you'll view it this way if I can use this illustration. My mom used to, when I was a little boy... And like all little boys, you know, you get outside and you play and you run around, you fall and you get scraped up and you get cut. And my mom, God bless her, she used to use this antiseptic stuff called methylate. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Cutting a little bottle of orange stuff. Yeah. And she would take that down out of the medicine cabinet and sit me down and, and where it was on my elbow or on my knee or wherever it was, and she'd wash it with a, a washcloth and dial soap. And then she'd put, pull that bottle out and put that stuff, and sometimes she and Dad had to hold me down. 
because this stuff hated germs so bad and killed germs so violently that they screamed out under my skin in pain. I hated it when she put that stuff on me because it stung. But you know what? Growing up, I never had an infected wound. She had to, because she loved me, she had to inflict a righteous pain on me so that I could start on the road to healing. And part of what might make these words for some of us here this morning a difficult pill to swallow is that they've long been abandoned by our culture, by our society. In our culture, right has become wrong and wrongs become right. But the result has been the erosion of the basic family unit in America. And my prayer is that you will listen and that even if it stings, you'll understand God's word and examine it yourself and you'll pray for your heart to be open to his healing instruction. Would you bow with me in prayer right now? Lord, I pray that as we hear your word and it may say things that to our ears and to our minds are totally foreign. But Lord, it comes from from your book. It comes from your word. This is how you as the divine architect of our lives designed not only me, but designed the relationship that I have with my wife and you've made us one and you've given us children and you've put us together as a family and said, now do what I say and make it work. And it's not easy. I pray, God, that you would help us to be submissive to you, to be able to truly say, not only are you our Savior, Jesus, wiping our slates clean, but you're our Lord You're our supreme authority. In your name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.